0: good to us. He's so good to us. My wife looked at me a few moments ago. She said, four more days. Four more days. A lot of ups and downs and struggles, but the Lord has been with us and he's seen us through it all. And We're thankful. We're thankful for the Lord tonight. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for making Bible study on Wednesday a priority in your life. I know that there's many places you could be, many things you could be doing, but nothing more important than being in the house of the Lord. For here, we draw our strength, we draw our help, And I believe that our Wednesday Bible study is one of the most important services because we grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Amen. We grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I'll leave you seated tonight. James chapter 4. And I'm going to read three verses. James chapter 4. And begin with verse number seven. James chapter four and verse number seven. And we're going to read down through verse number ten. James chapter four and verse number seven. Submit yourselves. Everybody say, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil and what's going to happen? When you resist him, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Isn't that a beautiful, resist the devil, he flees. Draw nigh to God and he draws nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I'm going to talk to you tonight, strange, perhaps, title for this lesson, but I know no other way of approaching the subject that I'm going to be approaching tonight, but I am speaking to a group of people that I pray gets the idea that I'm going to bring tonight, but for lack of a more creative title, I'm just going to say it this way, do it yourself. Do it yourself. It's kind of like me asking my wife sometimes. She just says, well, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Any of you men in the house like to hear your wife look at you and say, Do it yourself? Pastors coming tonight telling you there's some things you got to do for yourself. See, we want God to do everything for us, but God doesn't do everything for us. There's some things He leaves and says, You got to do that for yourself. Now, there's some things we can't do for ourselves, and the things that we cannot do for ourselves. God does for us. I want you to take a look at Luke chapter 18 and verse number 27. Luke chapter 18, verse number 27. And he said, the things which are impossible with men are what? Are possible with God. The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. So in this subject matter that I'm going to address tonight, there are some things that the Bible clearly gives us insight to because there will be some things that are impossible for you. You're going to run into some things in life you cannot do for yourself. But there's some things that you can do for yourself. The Bible talks to us about some of those things. And oftentimes we get this idea that God's just going to do everything for us and He's going to fix everything for us. And uh, all we're going to do is just take a ride to the pearly gates and hear Him say, Well done. But we don't intend to do anything, we want Him to do all the doing. We want Him to do it for us. But God is saying there's some things that you must do for yourself. There's six big things that jump out of me in this text that we are to do. That means it's more. there's more than just praying about it, more than just believing God for it. But we must do some things for ourselves. I've had some folks meet with me before and I've told them this is what you need to do. And when I met with them, the next time I asked them, did you do what I told you to do the last time that I met with you? And they said, no, but I prayed about it and asked God if he would do it for me. And so if I, 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 I suppose that maybe some folks think because they Given the offering and pay their tithe, that they're hiring God to do what they can do for themselves. But God completely gives us some insight in Scripture of a few things that He's not going to do for you. But He said these are some things that you can do for yourself and if it's going to get done, it's going to be under your own strength. He didn't say He wouldn't help you. He didn't say He wouldn't be there for you. He didn't say He wouldn't guide you. He wouldn't, but He said, I'm not going to do it for you. You've got to do it for yourselves. Now let's look back at James chapter 4, because I want you to look through a lot of your note-taking, marking your Bibles, and I want you to catch some of these things that, the scripture says you've got to do for yourselves and I'm going to take each of these I'm going to expand them a little bit tonight. The first thing the scripture opens in James chapter 4 verse number 7 submit yourself. God's not going to force you to submit. He won't force you to submit to his plan. He won't force you to submit to his will, to his purpose, to his calling. God will never force you to submit anything to him. The things that you put in God's hand, God will not reach out and take them out of your hand. You have to yield them to him. You have to put them in his hands. You have to you have to allow him. You have to when it comes to yourself, your will, your thinking, Submit yourself, the Bible said. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The second thing, he says, first, submit yourself, therefore, to God. The second thing, resist the devil. The Bible gives us some pretty clear insight. I'll, I'll save it, but he gives us some pretty clear insight into how you resist the devil. The Bible says you resist him but being steadfast in the faith. That's what the Bible says. The third thing he says is draw nigh unto God. Draw nigh unto God. Draw near unto God. Now how do you draw nigh unto the Lord? When you draw near unto Him. The Bible gives us a lot of insights into drawing nigh unto the Lord, drawing near unto Him. You draw near to Him with your heart. You draw near to Him with your lips. You draw near to Him in prayer. You draw near to Him in worship. So there's a lot of things, a lot of ways to draw near unto the Lord or draw nigh, that word, draw nigh unto the Lord or draw near unto the Lord. So as we seek to get closer to God, God gives us a promise that He will get closer to us. The fourth thing. That jumps out at me out of this text is cleanse your hands. The fifth thing is purify your hearts. And then the sixth thing that I see jumping out of this text at me is humble yourself. Humble yourself. Now there is a spirit. I'm going to expand these a little bit tonight, so bear with me as I give a little groundwork into what I feel for this evening. There is a spirit that is rampant in our age. In this day in which we live, there is a spirit that I I could say there's a spirit on the loose in this age and we must resist it. The spirit of this age is undoing everything that past generations have done. Today it seems like that most everything is under attack, particularly taking responsibility for ourselves. And therein lies the the whole concept and idea in which I plan to talk to you about Tonight, taking responsibility for ourselves and doing it for ourselves. It seems that we are living in a world that wants everything given to them, everything handed to them. They want everything done for them, and they're easily offended. We used to talk about, we used to even pray that the message would come forth and that there would be conviction that comes with the message. Today, if I preach a message and conviction falls in the house, I'm liable to get two or three text messages or emails with people who were offended. Offended. While we used to pray for conviction because we want everything to gratify the flesh. Humanism speaks louder in this generation than the Word of God speaks. And if we're not careful, this will even creep into the religious world. This is a very, very much a self-glorifying day in which we live. It's a self-glorifying generation. Yet the Scripture emphatically teaches us to humble ourselves and not to exalt ourselves. Now this is very evident because this isn't something that just happened overnight or in the last little while. I have watched it over a course of time and many of you are going to get what I'm talking about tonight because I'm talking to some folks that will, that will really understand what I am about to say. But it seems like that this generation has lost respect. I grew up in a generation in which my parents told me that I was to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. That was the respect issue. And so I learned to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I learned to give honor and respect to my parents. If I disrespected my parents, The rod of correction was applied to the seat of understanding. Here's how it was in my home. My dad always told me, if you get in trouble at school, you're going to get in trouble worse when you get home. And then he would tell me, I'm on the teacher's side. Now we live in a world in which police officers are so openly disrespected. I'm not saying that everybody that wears a badge is honorable, but as a whole, a lot of good men and women are leaving the police force because of the lack of respect. My dad was with me the other day, and we sat and we talked about it, and, and, and even to the point that, that he recognizes, as we discussed this in his generation, being a minister was uh, something that was revered in society. It was, a, it was a high honor, and when somebody found out that you were a minister, that you were automatically given a certain level of respect, and today, today in this society, I'm not talking about in this church, but I'm talking about in society. When someone finds out you're a minister, you're not respected. You are put in a point of being suspected. It's not respect, it's suspect. They are suspicious the moment that they find out that you are a minister. It is the changing of times. And it is self-exaltation that has brought us to this point. Let me expand this idea of humbling ourselves the lack of honor is a clear sign of the lack of humility humility will make it easy for one to give honor the spirit of this age says to give honor to whom whom has earned it by doing what pleases me then i will give honor to them but the Bible says to give honor because it's the right thing to do. In Romans the Apostle Paul teaches to give honor. He says where honor, to whom honor is due. This teaching is not just subjective to the judgment of man for a well-pleasing job or a good job but rather designed by God to elevate the submission of one who is giving the honor. My wife's okay with me sharing this. I dated a girl one time. It wasn't my wife. It was before her. I dated a girl one time, and I'll never forget that moment. We had not been dating very long. Her parents seemed to like me. I seemed to like them. We were young. I don't remember exactly how old, but I'm going to say probably, I think I was about 19 and she was probably about 18. And I remember we had been to a camp meeting and we were in a restaurant. And it was a restaurant where you stood. To order and then went to your table after you ordered in a line and we were standing there and we had made plans to do something else and so uh, we had gone with them and were there at the restaurant with them but had decided we were going to go somewhere else we were going to do something different and everything seemed to be going great and so I just walked up to her dad and I said Um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we were thinking about going to so-and-so, and and, uh, I wanted to make sure that that was okay with you before we went, and he stood for a moment, and he looked at me, and he said, no. Now, I was grown, and she was... And we could have done what we wanted to do. We could have walked out. We could have handled that however that we chose to handle it. I didn't know. I didn't know why. I didn't know why that he said no. But the moment that he said no, I just stepped back and looked at him and I said, okay, that's not a problem. We'll just stay here. And he didn't really respond in any way. He didn't say good job, good, good choice, good decision. He didn't really say anything. He just kind of turned his head and just moved on and kept talking. It was, it was troubling to me. And I couldn't figure out why. And it just rolling through my head. And several days went by and I was over at his home and uh, we were outside together. And he looked at me and he said, you passed the test. And I said, what test are you talking about? And he said, the other night when you asked me if you could go to a specific place, and I said no. He said, there's two things that you need to understand that happen at that moment. And I said, yes, sir. He said, first of all, sometimes you need to just be told no. Well, I didn't get that. He said, sometimes you just need to hear no. Just to be reminded that somebody has veto power in your life and in this relationship that you are starting in. And he said, the second thing is, he said, I was just trying your spirit to see if you would go do it anyway or if you would humble yourself and you would show respect and give honor to my no. And he said, you handled it well. He said, I may never do that again, but if I do, handle it the way you handled it now. No matter if it's a few months or a few years. The lesson that I learned at that moment was the lesson that humility paid off. Because the next time that I asked for us to go somewhere that I was expecting to no, know, he said yes. Because I had passed the test and handled the no with humility. Now when we talk about humility, honor, honor and respect has a reward attached to it. We have to understand this. The Bible said God will reward those who give honor because it is right. And there is a promise of blessing and favor attached to giving honor. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. So therefore, we can say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. The Bible emphatically tells us that humility is connected to you and your will. If you have humility, it is because you have disciplined the flesh to learn humility. Humility is not a spiritual issue. It can can reveal spiritual things about you. But humility Is something that you do for yourselves. You say I must humble myself because God says humble yourself. But then he attaches the promise to it and he said if you will learn the practice of humility in your life and you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is related to the things of God. If you will humble yourself If you read the Word and the Word of God pricks your heart and says, "Wow, I didn't really, don't really like that. I'm not, I'm not, this is difficult. I I, I see it, but it's, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle. The Scripture said if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, there's a promise now, He will exalt you at the right time. So the lesson of humility is learning to say, I will humble myself and not exalt myself. There's a thread all through Scripture, and for time's sake I can't tonight, but, but I, I'm, I'm going to take just a couple more minutes before I move on with this idea. But he talks about, the Scripture talks about us falling on the stone and being broken. And he says, if you fall on the stone, you you may be broken. But the idea here is is that God will reform and reshape and put your life back together. So the breaking process, it is as a potter and the clay. It is because there is an imperfection in you that God will break you in the right places. Are you with me tonight? He will break you in the right places. He will break some things in your life, break you in the right spots, break you in the right locations because you know where you're going to break? You're going to break in your area of weakness. You don't break in your area of strength. You break in your area of weakness. And so just like the potter would see the thing in its weak points that would break in the in the in the creation he doesn't take and throw it away but he takes and he reforms it and reshapes it and continues to work on it but the scripture goes further when it talks about to fall upon the stone and be broken it said but if you resist that breaking If you refuse to fall upon the stone, if you don't humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, if you stand and you refuse the breaking and allowing God to break you in the right places so that he can fix you in the right places, he says the stone will fall upon you and you will be ground to powder. Either you'll fall on the stone and allow your life to be broken on the stone. And I could go in and preach this. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He was the stone that was hewn out of the mountain. He was the rock that followed them through the wilderness. All through the Bible, Jesus is the stone. And so either you're going to fall and allow him to break your life so that he can put it back together, or he said, if you don't, There's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be an end to this when the stone's going to fall on you and you're going to be ground to powder. I want God to fix me. But the only way that he will fix me, if if I will humble myself, if I will allow, if I will humble myself and allow him to fix the weak areas of my life. So, the first thing is humble yourself. The second thing, I got to move because time's getting away from me. They speed the clock up when I get up here and start teaching. They do it every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, they do it. The second thing he says is submit yourself. Humble yourself, submit yourself. There's a lot about yourself here. Humility is not something God does for you. You do it for yourself. Submission is not something that God does for you. You must do it for yourself. An unsubmitted individual is a self-willed individual that is refusing to discipline their life in the area of submission according to the will of God. The spirit of the world, this day in which we live, sees God's work as something that church staff does and the preacher does and those who volunteer does when it's convenient when it's easy the spirit of this age doesn't see the importance of the command to be salt and light in this world to take the gospel to the ends of the earth those those commands were given to the entire church body not just the apostles There's a job for everybody. But the only way it can happen is if you submit yourself. And so in everything that God is doing, whether it is the call to ministry, it is the work of ministry, no matter what it is, you can apply it wherever you want to apply it. Submission will come out of yourself. Submission to authority, submission to leaders, submission to the plan of God, the will of God, submission to godly authority, godly leadership, Submission to the church. Whatever it is, submission is what you do. God will not do it for you. Watch this now. All of these things, honor, respect, submission. Submission is not something that is handed down to you. Submission is one of those things that flows up. Therefore, it's a struggle because it doesn't happen naturally. Naturally, gravitational pull causes things that flow down to flow down. Anointing flows down. But submission flows It starts with you and flows up. And when you submit yourself, when you make yourself available to God, when God becomes the priority of your life, when you're submitted to His plan, to His purpose, to His will, to the gifts and callings that God has put in your life, when you submit to those things, then everything else in your life Become secondary because I'm submitted so I began with the core of who am I I must be humble I must be submitted the first two things that I must do for myself look at your neighbor and tell them do it yourself I must do it for myself God's not going to do it for me I can pray until I'm blue in the face and say God I want you to make me humble, that may be a bad prayer to pray, he'll give you a lot of opportunities to look foolish, he'll embarrass you in so many ways that you won't even know but humility is never going to come until you say I'm going to be humble. You can say God help me be submitted, help me stay submitted. Those aren't bad prayers to pray. You're saying, God, help me. Quicken my thoughts, quicken my mind. But when it comes to it, God will not tie your hands and say, you're going to sit there and be submitted. You are going to be submitted. As the pastor of the church, I've had people ask me, because every church is different, every pastor's different, every leader leads in different ways. I've had people say, well, why don't you just lay down the law, why don't you just lay down the rules? It's kind of like, now listen, it's like going to, a, to, to your kids, looking at them and saying, listen, buddy, you're going to respect me. No, they're not. No, they're not. Listen, bud, you're going to honor me. Listen, bud, you're going to be submitted to me. No, they're not. Submission's to going to come from here. The third thing he said, i got to keep moving. The third thing that he said, he didn't say, I've got to keep moving. I said that. That wasn't the third thing he said. The third thing, purify your heart. Oh, oh. David prayed, wash me that I may be clean. He says, he says, He's praying a prayer asking God to purify him. He's asking God to cleanse him. And we understand the blood of Jesus and we understand everything that God does for us. But there is something in this text that jumps out at me that God's going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. But there's some areas of your heart that you are going to have to purify for yourself. I didn't write this. I'm just teaching what the Lord said. Purify your heart. You know what this is dealing with? This is dealing with motives and intentions. There's a lot of people That do a lot of things with bad intentions. That's not a pure heart. Their motives are bad. Their motives are wrong. They're doing something for self-exaltation. They're doing something to lift themselves up. This is dealing with our motives and our intention. Purify your heart by getting the right motives, by getting the right intentions. Doing what we do for the right reasons. It's like people giving with attachments. It's kind of like me going home with flowers and handing them to my wife. And her response is, what do you want? As if my giving has something to do with, with an expectation. Anybody with me tonight? My giving must not be done with an expectation. I'm not giving to get in return. It must be a pure heart. What I do, I'm doing out of a pure heart. I'm doing with the right motives. I'm doing with good intentions. They, they don't. Some people don't see themselves under heaven's mandate that they are going to give full accountability for their motives and their intents for the thought and intent of their heart but our motives and our intentions are on the line here the church is not placed in our life god did not plan us in the church for the church to cater to all of our wants and all of our needs it's not there for that if we come if we we're, we're coming to the lord We're coming to serve him. Motive must be this I'm a sinner and I need salvation. Not, boy, there's going to be a lot of good political gain. I was talking to someone the other day about a young girl that was raised up the apostolic truth and then went completely into some other religion that has, if you even call it a religion, in of itself and when asked what, what, what would have prompted such a nice young lady to to do such a thing? And the response back was she's preparing to run for a political office in the state of Indiana. And by joining a different religion it has a larger base, and so she's able to get more votes. motives and intentions. I've seen people I've seen people come. everybody that comes to church doesn't come with the right motive and intention. Everybody that comes to the altar doesn't come with the right motive and intention. I've seen, I've seen young men come to church visit spot a nice-looking young lady. They run to the altar, start repenting, ready to get baptized, ready to start serving God because they want to date that that little girl. Somebody said, well, we'll take them any way we can get them. But listen, that motive and that intention is an impure motive. We've got to see ourselves as a sinner in need of God and understanding that we need salvation. So it's motive and intent. And so the scripture is talking about it's talking about us not being the center of our own universe but the motive and intent of our heart to purify our own heart. The next the next point that I need to make tonight, cleanse your hands. When the Bible speaks of clean hands, it's dealing with Integrity, not being, not doing things that would put blood on your hands, that would put your hands in the middle of bad business. To cleanse your hands deals with integrity, accountability. Accountability can help you be saved. I didn't know whether our youth was going to be in or tonight or not, but sometimes our young, our, our, our young people need to be reminded that accountability when parents or grandparents or pastors or, or, uh, or youth workers say, hey, we're going to create some accountability here. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. That accountability may be a saving grace. I've had people say, what's the matter? Don't you trust me? Yes, I trust you, but I don't trust my own flesh. Let that settle just a minute. Because who can know his own heart? The heart is wicked and evil continually. Who can know his own heart? And so creating accountability can, be a, can, can save us and can cause us to live with clean hands. We must not live after the flesh. We need a pure heart the Bible says and clean hands. Because God is holding us accountable. Above all it doesn't matter if people don't know, it's what God knows. We cannot live After the flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit. The word picture that Paul uses here. Is that of of a commanding officer. Our flesh. Our old habits. Try to dictate to us. To follow the old patterns. That only lead to defeat. But here we're told you no longer are a debtor to the flesh to walk after the flesh. Meaning, you're no longer responsible for the flesh to dictate your actions. I'm trying to help somebody right now. When you are born again, you are born again, and the old life before being born again The flesh dictated to you what you must do. The sin nature in you told you what you had to do. The old habit was in control of your life. But when you're born again, there's some things you can do for yourself. Because now you have the help of the Holy Ghost. This is why it's important to have the Holy Ghost. We saw 20 people or so receive the Holy Ghost this past Sunday. That's good. You know what that does? It gives them the power to live in a sinful world, yet live above sin. It's the born again experience that allows them to be able to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We we no longer have to follow the lust of the flesh. Now we can do some things for ourselves by the help of the Holy Ghost. We can resist some temptations. We can say no to some impure things in our life. If you're waiting for God to come and knock the phone out of your hand to keep you from getting on the website that you ought to not be on, you're going to blame it on God and say, well, it's God's fault that I'm addicted to pornography. No, it's not. But when He filled you with the Holy Ghost, He gave you power. You can overcome it. You couldn't do it in the flesh because the flesh desired it. The flesh wanted it. But now that you are born again, a new creature, you don't have to do the things the flesh says. You now have the power to break it. Because the anointing breaks the yoke. And when you were born again, you have the anointing of God in your life. It breaks the yoke that is attached to the addiction that held you captive. So now you can do it. Well, God's going to have to do it for me. No, He's not. You can do it for yourself. Look at your neighbor and tell them there's some things you got to do for yourself. God will empower you. He will give you the authority. He will help you. He will will give you what you need. The flesh is not going to like it. The flesh is not going to like it. The flesh doesn't like it. Some of you don't even like what I'm preaching tonight because you don't like it. You want God to magically do everything for you. I often call it the Burger King mentality, your way right away now. And the truth is when you're born again, first off it's a journey. I've heard people wrongly say, everything's everything's just going to change and, and, and you're never going to have any more trouble, you're never going to have any more problems, there's going to be no more desires, everything's gone. I, I I don't know where they're coming from, but the people that I talk to and I know my life, you still deal with desires, but you have the power to overcome them. You still deal with the flesh because we live in the flesh, but we we don't have to submit to the flesh. We can say no to it. And we can walk after the Spirit. So you have the ability to break things in your life. I've had people that have dealt with addictions. I I talked to someone who who was dealing with an alcohol addiction. And I asked them in the course of conversation, they shared with me that on their way home from work, they drove a certain way and they went by a certain store and they had become so accustomed to it that they pulled into this specific store almost every day day on their way home from work, and they stopped at that certain store, and this habit had become so strong that they literally were wanting to break the habit, and they literally have made commitments at the altar, start driving home, pay no attention on their way home from work, and they turned in that driveway so many times they just turn in, get out, walk in, and realize, oh, I I wasn't even supposed to be here. I made a commitment. I, I really don't want to do this. But hey, I'm here, Ms. We'll go ahead. So said, I just don't know what to do. I said, let me help you. you got to do something for yourself. Is there another road home? Well, yeah, but it takes me longer. Do you want to break that yoke in your life? Well, yeah, we'll drive a different way home. This will take me five extra minutes to get home every day. You want to break the yoke in your life? Remove the temptation of turning in the driveway. Go a different way. When you get in your car, no, it's intentional. I'm not going that way. I'm going a different way in my life because there's some things you have to do for yourself because it is attached to the flesh. It is a desire of the flesh. So you've got to make a decision. I am going to do it. with the help of the Holy Ghost. Be careful not to build alliances to the world. They're like, oh boy, I've got so much Holy Ghost and I can go to those parties and it doesn't even affect me. Be careful. Those old addictions, those old lusts, those old things will start raising up in you and it'll start getting a hold of you. You start building alliances with the world. That's why the Bible said to come out from among them and be separate. So there's some things you got to do for yourself. You, you have to come out. You have to remove yourself. You have to say no. You have to walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. How are you gonna do this? You've got to stay in step with the Holy Ghost. You've got to let the Holy Spirit reign in your life. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That means you know, you know who walks? Well, the Holy Ghost. When I know this, when I get out of bed every morning, it's not supernatural. I really have to put my shoes on. I really have to make some decisions. I don't just get up every morning speaking in tongues and in prayer. It doesn't happen like that. Sometimes I have to discipline myself. Because I got other things I'm needing or wanting to do, and that's just pressing on me, and I have to discipline myself. There's some things you got to do for yourself. Well, this isn't a very popular message tonight. Jamie came in and said made me feel so good about myself tonight. Told me, "Oh, I'm just so glad you're preaching tonight. I'm just wanting to hear you and then I get up here and ain't nobody liking me tonight." <laughs> we have to stay in step with the Holy Ghost. You can't follow after the will of the flesh. You must walk after the Spirit. How do we stay in step with the Spirit? Galatians 5:25. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. The Holy Ghost not walking for you, you got to do the walking. You're living in the Spirit. You've also got to walk in the Spirit. You can't turn your life loose and just say, well, I'm just going to idle my way through. You've got to do some things for yourself. Put your foot where it belongs every day. Walk in the path you need to walk every day. Make a decision every day. What happens, pastor, when I backslide? What happens when I fail? What happens when I I fall? You know what you do? You get right back up, you shake the dust off, and you keep on. When that baby, when that baby's learning to walk, you hold that baby up and that baby takes two or three steps and falls. You don't scold that baby. You cheer the baby on, pick it back up and say, come on, you can do it. And next time it's four or five steps and eventually they're running across the room and you're wishing you'd have never taught that baby to walk. See, when you start serving God, you don't start out running and just, "Oh man, I'm looking. You see these people been serving God. There's people in this room been serving God for 50, 60, 70 years. You don't start out serving God and automatically find yourself so easily following them the path and doing all the things that just comes natural to them. They've got 70 years experience, 50 years experience. You're just learning to walk. Just keep on walking. When you stumble, get back up and keep on walking. Did you hear what I said? When you stumble, get back up. I can't come lift you every day. You've got to get up yourself once in a while. You've got to climb back up. You've got to get back up yourself and say, The devil is a liar. He is going to be defeated in my life. I am going to not walk after the flesh but walk after the spirit. We cannot allow the flesh to control our mind and our thoughts. The Holy Ghost changes our thinking and lets us know in the flesh, I'd never be able to do this. But by the help of God, I can get up and I can keep going. I can keep walking. I can keep going. You are who God says you are doesn't matter what people say about you. Sometimes we worry so much about what people think. The older I get, the less I worry about what people think about me. I want people to think well of me. But the older I get, the less I am concerned about what people think because what really matters is what God thinks. And if I know that God believes in me, then I need to believe in myself. And know I, no way I could do it without Him. I need to please him because if I'm pleasing him, he's got my back. You can live an overcoming life. Not if the flesh is in control. You'll never make it. If the flesh is in control, you'll never be able to do it. But by the help of the Holy Ghost, you can do it. So the lesson I'm teaching you tonight is not a flesh sufficient do it yourself. But it is do it yourself yourself. By the help of God. Because there's no way you would ever make it on your own. Romans chapter 12 tells us, I'm going to go about four more minutes and wrap this up. Romans chapter 12 tells us, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye, verse number 2, Romans 12, 2 if you're taking notes. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good. What did it say? That you may prove. You've got to do it. That you may prove by doing it. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's not going to do it for you. You've got to prove it. You've got to prove it. When you you have a change of your mind, now prove it by doing that which is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. I don't have time to get into that, but the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God. When we learn to renew our minds and allow God to help us to change our way of thinking, to be not conformed to the way of thinking of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will be able to break old habit patterns that the Bible lets us know that we can walk in what is that perfect will of God. But we may not start out in the perfect will of God. We may start out walking in the acceptable will of God. But eventually, we're going to hear him say, well done. How we think, here's why it's so important to have the transformation of the mind. Because how we think shapes our mind, our will, our emotions, and our character. Before we do it, we first must think it. So when we start saying, hey, there's some things in my life that after this lesson tonight, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make some changes in my life and I'm going to start doing some things for myself that I was just waiting magically for the Holy Ghost to come and humble me for the Holy Ghost to come and and, and force me into submission. That's not the way it's going to happen. When we get a change of the mind, then our actions will begin to change and we will start proving what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Stand with me all over this room tonight. I want to pray with you before we leave this house. I want to encourage every person in this room. If you're trying, keep trying. If you fall, get up and keep going. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that you're not going to be successful, that you're going to that you're always going to be a failure. No, you're not. That's what the flesh wants to say, but God's going to help us lift your hands all over this room right now father i come to you right now i pray for every person in this house tonight lord i pray for every man woman boy or girl in this room lord for every individual tonight god that is struggling that is walking down difficult paths in life god i pray that this by the spirit of the lord that we can lord we can do, Lord. We can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Lord, we can conquer every adversary. Lord, we can overcome every enemy. Lord, every everything that may come against us. Lord, by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can overcome. Lord, I pray for your strength in every life. God, I pray for every person that is struggling. Lord, just to, to get up every day and keep going. I pray that the strength of the Holy Ghost comes. Strength Strengthen them, O Lord, on the inner man. Strengthen them, O God, in their spirit. Strengthen them in their walk. Oh God, we bless you tonight and honor you, Lord, as we walk out of this house tonight. O God, I pray for your strength in every life. Every home be strengthened tonight. Every individual be strengthened tonight, O God.